It's the herb at the end of the world. It's the herb at the end of the world. It's the time I took some time to heal. It's the time I took some time to heal. It's the time I took some time to heal. And I feel everybody, Samwise here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Herb at the End of the World. And today we have a really special episode for you with abortion doula and fertility awareness educator, Sarah Merrick. And um, yeah, I really want to extend some big gratitude to Sarah for sharing their wisdom and some of their learnings and yeah, just some of their experiences. I am really struck with the generosity of of their sharing in this episode. I know I learned a lot and I really appreciated getting to talk to them about all these really generative and important subjects. And um, I really encourage you to check out the links in the show notes this episode where you can find more information about Sarah's practice um, and also find a bunch of the really awesome resources we name in the episode, including um, a whole PDF of the book, Natural Liberty, which um, is a book about um, abortion. So I really encourage y'all to check that out. Um, Thank you again to Sarah and all of your ancestors and teachers. And thanks to all of you listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Herb at the End of the World. I'm your host, Samwise Raritan, community herbalist, and I feel very grateful today to be joined by Sarah Merrick, who is a clinical herbalist and abortion doula located in the East Bay in California. Thank you for being here, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Thank you for this invitation. Um, Shall I introduce myself a little bit? Yes, please. So my name is Sarah, as Sam mentioned, I'm located um, in the East Bay area. I've been practicing as an herbalist for many years, but recently um, got my stamp as a clinical herbalist through um, Ancestral Apothecary, a school out here in East Bay. Um, And I also am a certified fertility awareness educator. So I teach people how to track their menstrual cycle and their cycles to to use that information as a form of contraception to avoid pregnancy. And really what holds my practice together and is the root of all of this work is I work as an abortion doula, um, which for me has been a long journey of learning, putting the pieces together. So I'm so excited to have this conversation and um, I provide some group classes and one-on-one counseling. So I sell some products. So like many herbalists, I do it all. <laughs> so many things, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and saying yes to being on the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm excited to ask you more about your journey and um, yeah, how you got to be doing the work that you're doing? Um, What are some of your lineages and and how you found your way to the plants? Mm -hmm. Um, So I am originally from 
I was born and raised um, in Las Vegas. My mother's family moved there when she was a kid from Mexico. My mother's family um, is from the region of the Yucatan and also central Mexico. So I'm of mixed indigenous and Spanish lineages from my mother's side. And on my father's side, he, his family settled in the United States many centuries ago, but before they came to the United States, they um, so-called US, they um, lived in a town called Somerset, England. And so I've been doing some work to connect with those ancestors. Um, the land is known for its like apple picking or it's like apple orchards and also it's willow basket weaving. So I've been doing my work to connect both with the, the plant medicine of Mexico and also the plant medicine of England for a bit. Um, I also just want to name some of my other lineages, you know, studying with Ataba Garcia Sueski for the past five years or so, um, learning from many different herbal teachers and also learning from many different aliases um, through my, my herbal abortion studies. Um, just want to really thank all the teachers that have come through to hold me th through my process and through my learning. I'm also part of those lineages as well. Yeah, thank you for, for naming all of that. And um, I feel really grateful that we share some teachers through Ancestral Apothecary, that study and those teachers definitely shaped the direction of my life. Um, and um, yeah, feel really grateful for their teachings. And yes, I also feel grateful for all of the people who have been collecting wisdom and knowledge about herbal abortions over the years, over the generations. Um, and yeah, I feel very curious to learn more about what's available to learn from. Um, Cause I, I've heard very little <laughs> in my learning so far. Um, and I've heard, you know, gen generalizations about it um, that it's like very painful or that it's like very um, kind of like a whole body toxicity experience which I understand is not necessarily the case. Um, so yeah, especially in these times where access to abortion and other tools that folks who, um, have the capability of birthing or becoming pregnant, um, I am really curious to learn more about just kind of what's out there in terms of, of support and resources. And, um, yeah, I'm curious how you got into the work that you're doing and, and what kind of what kind of shape does your work take in the world these days? Yeah. Um, I found my way to the plants in this work through just this like deep desire. <laughs> I think my ancestors led me back to this work because it's work that they practiced. Um, but about seven or eight years ago, I um, had a really long menstrual cycle. It lasted almost three months. And being in that health crisis, I had to like find my people, my teachers and my plants really quickly. And um, for me, my menstrual cycle has been this continued thread of um, learning and also a guide um, that continues to bring me back to the plants and to this work and, um, you know, I'm actually bleeding today, which I'm happy that my blood has joined us for this podcast. Um, I'm on cycle day two. Um, 
And so abortion work, I believe, is very sacred and it's medicine. Not only is it healthcare, but it's also medicine. And I think that originally when I started, I went to my first formal like organized herbal program and I was like when do we get to learn about like abortion and birth and I realized that there was like this stigma (laughs) sometimes that got brought up and this also like oh we don't talk about that we don't touch it kind of thing which is I I don't know if ironic's the right word but so much of this history and medicines herbal medicine's been preserved through midwifery and and partheras and like those lineages and so in a way it's like we're forgetting where we came from (laughs) literally um and so I just started I think the first sort of guides I got my hands on were some zines I found online I know that I definitely give thanks to like the anarchists who've organized before me who have put the zines together that have put them you know made those that information accessible in some ways by the information sharing that is zines um and I just kept on asking my teachers like why you know why isn't there anything in the books that are published like I just felt like this continuously curious child just asking why to everyone until some people started giving me answers and I realized that um herbalism has departed from abortion and birth work because of a trauma from the past that you know this work has been persecuted prosecuted persecuted and like um let go of because of fear of what it means to have control over our family sizes to like have to be able to manage our fertility um it's not something that I think the powers that be would like and I think that it puts an immense amount of power in the people's hands if they know how to release their pregnancies if they know how to give birth if they know how to work with plants as contraception yeah I relate to that a lot thanks for naming that in that way yeah, I, I think that's a really big reason why I want to study midwifery, um, in part because birth is amazing and like, what is even that? But also because of what you're you're naming around how like these roles the of the midwife or, you know, whatever name that folks have for people who practice that and keep that wisdom is where some of that, those histories lie in some of those um like yeah roles over time have kind of come together in an interesting way so I'm, I'm curious what studying that and kind of getting more into learning about fertility menstrual cycles like the generative rhythms of our bodies what becoming more familiar and skilled with working with those will kind of unlock um so I know for me when I'm, you know, working with menstrual cycles has been tough for me. I have like terrible cramps and like every month I like just feel debilitated for like day one and day two when I bleed and then my cycles are short. So it's like, I don't bleed enough actually, which I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, ah, is this an estrogen depletion problem (laughs) instead of, you know, trying to figure out, um, where I sit in, in the balance of things. Um, and I have fibroids. And so like learning about how so much of 
these issues are also tied to ancestry and tied to like unraveling some of the knots in our lineages and, and the woundedness in our lineages and, and what comes out of that when we attend to that and also, you know, build our skill and in turn, like build our personal like power within our lives. Like what, what happens when that happens and, and why does the state hate it so much? <laughs> <laughs> Mm, I wonder wonder why many of us were taught to like take our tampons and wrap them in a bunch of toilet paper and stuff them to the bottom of the trash can so no one ever sees like you know rather than planting blood in the back like you know taking our blood and praying with it you know there's different options and why I have you know we've been only taught one way to be in relationship with our blood and also like I think when it comes up what comes up for me, when it comes to my relationship with my blood is that sometimes it's hard to access that relationship because it's been so gendered culturally. And there's an amazing project called Bleeding Thunder. Um, have you heard of it before? Nope. So it's um, an amazing uh, zine project that's like this really beautiful book. Essentially, it's a magazine um, with these printed stories and art for people who are who identify as trans and gender fluid and gender expansive um, who menstruate and their stories around their menstrual cycles. And so I just want to name that for anyone who's listening, um, that there are resources out there um, in ways that people are ex- connecting with their menses outside of the gender binary. And um, I just really appreciate the ways that I'm seeing so many creative projects come through around connecting with bodies and connecting with cycles. Because for me, what's been unlocked too is how I am a child of nature and I see that with my cycle. And then I see that again, when I look outside with the changing seasons. And for me, some part of that medicine is first understanding what's happening with my cycle and how it's moving through these different seasons or these, it's moving through these different phases. And also with climate change, you know, how is the site, how is the earth having irregular cycles right now? And how are my irregular cycles connected with climate change? You know, how can I understand my body more? Um, and, you know, what a doctor might call regular cycles, but actually I have my own pattern <laughs> and the earth has its own pattern. And how do we, you know, adjust with the spontaneous heat waves that are happening or, you know, these things that um, aren't expected in the, like, tr- the seasons that we're familiar with before is actually just the earth processing um things differently than it used to. And so I guess for me, like I see sometimes my quote unquote irregular cycles also reflected in the earth right now. And I'm reminded that we're all connected (laughs) and Mm. that what the earth is experiencing, our bodies are also experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such an important tool to be able to track that and to be in conversation with those cycles and um, have a familiarity and an intimacy with that, especially as time goes on, because what what will happen, I don't know. But um, that's a big reason why um, I'm excited to shout out Vitex in these times. If that is a plant that works for people, it can be really helpful to um, get in touch with one's own like rhythms um and cycles um 
in the ways that make sense for their bodies. And um, yeah, I wonder what it might be like to kind of keep tending to our our own rhythms and our bodies as things shift in the climate and just kind of, you know, having that intimacy and self-knowledge of what's happening for us be a grounding touchstone as things around us shift and change and then change us. So I have a sense that that might be useful in the future. And now. <laughs> and I, I think for me, it's also this helpful shift from thinking that like, this is just my experience and it's just my pain when actually it's the pain is much more collective. And I think that when we start talking about our own cycles, then we realize that the people around us are also navigating similar situations, similar um, similar bleeds, similar like menstrual pain, similar um, process, like they're going through similar things in their lives and ways that have been kept quiet. And the thing that I really want to break is that we're suffering in silence, you know, mm. not only with the pain, but also with the fear of pregnancy. There's so many people suffering in silence around every month. They're like, oh, am I going to get my period? Am I going to get my period? You know, and that's a burden that I just want to release. Like, you know, it's, that's not, it's not something that, you know, the world is already so hard. And um, I think that I really just want to really allow for more spaciousness for people to feel ease in their body. And for me, tracking my cycle gives me that ease that I know, okay, I know my, my period's going to come. And I know that it's going to come because I got, I, I, I know when my, what, what's going on with my cycle. And I also know what plans I need to take in case um, I'm in, I have any concern that my period isn't going to come. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you would, um, help us understand how you track your cycle, like what tools you use. Um, and I understand that's probably, you could teach a whole seat class series on how to do that. Um, and if you and feel, and <laughs> yeah, you do <laughs> check out the link in the show notes for more. Um, and I'm wondering if you would grace us with kind of like a, a basic like shape of that. So folks can kind of wrap their minds around how that works. Um, and, and how you kind of, yeah, build a tracking practice for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have been practicing fertility awareness for the last handful of years, and there are so many different types of fertility awareness-based methods. So the like category that I teach and I practice is a symptothermal method. So I, every day check for my cervical fluid when I'm in the bathroom, I'm doing external checks when I wipe, um, I look at the toilet paper. I feel like the sensation of toilet paper when I wipe across my vulva. Um, and that's how I track my cervical fluid. And then the second piece is every morning when I wake up, I take my temperature. Um, and with those two pieces together, I'm able to know when I ovulate and when I'm fertile and infertile, um, because I'm not fertile every day of my cycle. I cannot get pregnant every day of my cycle, which blew my mind when I started learning about fertility awareness, because I was raised with the hyper fertility myth and I thought I first time I ever took a pregnancy test was before I ever had penetrative sex <laughs> like I um was so nervous because I touched can I yeah can definitely I go for it yeah <laughs> I don't know yeah no <laughs> this all a whole, whole day you know go for it because I think you're so the not alone. I ever, 
I touched cum for the first time and it was on my hand and I was like, oh my gosh, it had to have gotten inside of me. I was like so sick. And then the person I was with at the time had a dream that I was pregnant and it was like, oh my, it was so told so terrible. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it's just wild. And I know that there's a lot of young people who have misinformation and like lack of education around sex ed. For me, I grew up and it's, you know, I know there's different programs across the U.S., so not everyone has the same experience as me. But for me, I was deeply undereducated and miseducated from from media and, you know, all these things. Totally. And um, I just did another recording with um, a friend and colleague, and we talked about that scene in Mean Girls where they say, like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. And I think, like, a lot of people have this impression <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty a pretty widespread myth so it's really cool to hear about and, your practice and I want to pick that apart a little bit because I think that was in that scene it was a co-ed class and what they're saying is that you will get pregnant you will get someone pregnant and like it puts all the responsibility on the person who can get pregnant and it's like just this really not equal pressure or not like help like duly held responsibility around who can also get people pregnant and I feel a lot of frustration around that because it's just I, I think this education needs to be for bleeding bodies non-bleeding bodies like you know and I think that you know right now we're in changing times around abortion and what is to come is that we're going to see contraception is going to be less and less accessible and that's going to change people's relationship with sex and intercourse and people need to learn more about how they can also get people pregnant and take responsibility for that all the snaps all <laughs> this. yeah I, I i share this frustration anger rage um <laughs> around that and yeah i hope that more folks take a shared responsibility because for me i see it so so clear in which you know putting all that responsibility onto people who can get pregnant is such a tool of empire and such a tool of white supremacy and capitalism to keep people poor and keep people like in their social boxes to keep serving the interests of empire and whiteness and all the things. And maybe that's why they don't want us to have access to tools to support our agency. Um, and what, yeah. Oh, go ahead. One thing I just want to add around fertility awareness is that it did take me a lot of like labor on my own to like learn it. And then um, I was in a two-year program to actually learn how to teach it. But in my own practice, like the people that I am who are having sleepovers with me, <laughs> it becomes their responsibility to put that thermometer in my mouth every morning. So like, it's just like a little piece, but it feels really healing to me that my fertility practice isn't entirely on my shoulders and the people who get to share my bed with me are going to help me with what a part of that oh my god I love that so much that's so <laughs> great I love it oh my god that's like a whole world of like thermometer kink just opened up in my mind <laughs> I'm like what kind of thermometer do you use like do you get I don't know like what 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 is it <laughs> just like a regular thermometer or is it like a spicy, oh, sexy time thermometer <laughs> <laughs> it can be spicy um but I just use a, a a thermometer that reads for at least 30 seconds so some of those are called basal body thermometers but um and so a basal body thermometer would totally qualify as that but it's different than a normal thermometer is usually a quick read thermometer and that's a fever thermometer and that is 
great when it's like someone has a fever and they don't want that thermometer in their mouth that long, but it's not as accurate as a, a longer read thermometer, which is at least for 30 seconds. Totally. And what are you looking for when you're tracking your temperature? So I'm looking to see if it raises and it stays sustained. And so when my temperature raises at least 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit, it stays um, that risen for um, at least three or four days, then I know that, okay, I'm likely past ovulation. If also, I'm also seeing my cervical fluid is drying up and that when I'm wiping, it doesn't, um, it feels a little bit more coarse. I'm not seeing any more cervical fluid that looks a certain way. So if when I have both those pieces together, I can say that I cannot get pregnant and I can have as much sperm inside my vagina as I'd like and not get pregnant. And it feels so magical. <laughs> it feels like when my period comes, I'm just like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's, um, it's really empowering every time I've been doing practicing um, fertility awareness as my main form of contraception for the last five or so years. And literally every month I'm just like, so happy whenever I bleed because <laughs> I'm just like I, I of course trust it but I just feel like it's like um every time I'm like hell hell yeah I figured it out <laughs> I'm doing it totally every time it's magic where you're like I'm in relationship with my body and other people's bodies and the earth with this temperature <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool I'm so inspired by that <sighs> yeah wow so that that time where your temperature raises that 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit, is that when you're ovulating or that's like right after you ovulate? Usually right after. Statistically, it's right after you ovulate. Mm-hmm. Cool. And ovulation is just like a moment in time where the egg pops out of the ovary and then that egg lives for 12 to 24 hours. It's possible for more than one egg to pop out in that time period. So that's why we have, we're waiting, I have a waiting period of three or four days of seeing making sure our temperature is actually risen and it's not just a fever or we didn't drink alcohol the night before. Like there's things that also can raise our temperature and that also my cervical fluid's drying up, meaning that um, I ovulated. Totally. I think I had the impression that like once you ovulate, there's like an egg in the, like in the uterus somewhere and like it's just waiting around to get pregnant. And so I, I think previously I had the assumption that you are less likely to get pregnant before you ovulate, but it's sounding like the safer window for having sex with like, you know, sperm exposure is Mm -hmm. after ovulation during that like uptick in progesterone, like when you're getting ready to bleed again. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally uh, correct. Yeah. That time before there is like an infertile time before um, someone becomes fertile and then they ovulate. Um, But you're like, in that practice, you're constantly waiting for your, what I call your fertile window, your fertile time to open. So you have to be more diligent after you close your fertile window, after you know that you've ovulated, you can just like chill. And you're just like, I know that it's impossible for me to ovulate again for the rest of my cycle. That egg has disintegrated. It's long gone. um, And there's no cervical fluid to keep the sperm alive anyways, because that's what, that's one of the functions of the cervical fluid. It's munch uh, the, the sperm munches away at it to keep it alive but so the rest of that cycle, <laughs> the rest of the cycle it's like for me those are like my green days I'm just like feeling really confident that's so cool how did you learn about the details you mentioned taking a course um but did you also like refer to texts or like other 
other materials to learn more about the particulars of how to track? Yeah, there's a book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. So many, a few summers ago, I read that book cover to cover. It's a big book. You don't have to read all of it because half of it's about getting pregnant, unless that's what you want to learn to. Um, and I took a course with Rosemary Roberts, who's a, a fertility awareness educator up in Northern California. Um, and I think my practice is what's taught me so much. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Taking is a really great resource book. Something to mention is that it uses gendered language. And also like in the first few pages, they're like, this only can be practiced by monogamous people. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> Thanks for that. Heads up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you mentioned your practice. I, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about what that looks like, um, particularly like what it looks like to be an abortion doula and and how that can support folks, you know, in this part of, of a journey. Mm -hmm. So I um, offer like one on one counseling um, when it comes to my abortion doula work. So people find my website they find me through a friend of friend and they book some time for us to chat and so you know depending on where they're at some people are like still making the decision of whether or not they want to have an abortion and so we'll connect to do a bit of like counsels op uh, options counseling you know sharing what those options are whether it be a medication abortion a clinical abortion or an herbal abortion um you know just, just laying out what the different like um, what each of them means, the timeline and, you know, whether, what they can access to, because that's a reality of not everyone has the same access to everything. And, you know, there are different, um, risks, you know, depending on where people are located in the U S. Um, and, you know, we, I have, so I have that first intake and I think that a big part of that first hour that I spend with the client is, um, giving them an opportunity to share their story. You know, there's the logistics, which I think it is an important thing to like figure out. But I also have found that so many people are holding their abortion stories on their own um, or like are it's been so ingrained, whether people are pro-abortion or not, that, you know, this is still meant to be a secretive thing. And there's an awesome initiative out there called Abortion Showers um, that someone organizes abortion showers instead of baby showers or abortion showers, whether to commemorate like an abortion that's happened before or to prepare for one. So anyways, I just want to plug that as an awesome resource. Um, and so we have that first um, point of contact, that first hour just to check in. And then my support usually goes on for at least a few weeks. Um, you know, whether, whatever they've decided, it really changes the timeline of how long that support goes. But um, then I support them usually the day of, of their medication abortion, um, throughout the, cup, the cup few weeks that they might be working with herbs. Um, and then we have a closing session where we like close the energy and make sure that, you know, there aren't any loose ends and that they're feeling held I think that something that I sort of like my flavor of um, support is really making space for like spiritual expression. Um, something that I believe and feel is that the antis, the forced birthers have really capitalized off of the spiritual experience that people should be allowed to have around their abortions. 
um, you know, making it this like really black and white thing. But for some people, it's much more of a gray area. Some people, you know, and I, I totally have like, I believe that there's space for it. There's so many different, for all realities to be true. Like for some people to believe that like their pregnancies is a clump of cells and there's no spirit and like that, that is true for them. And I also interface with people who want to connect with the spirit of their pregnancy, even after the pregnancy releases and have it, it's still okay. Even if the pregnancy has a spirit and they can communicate with it, with through their dreams or, you know, however they like that it's still okay to have an abortion. And um, this sort of, I really learned this from my work as uh, supporting people through miscarriages because, you know, there, there's so many ways that miscarriages are um, pushed into the shadows as well. Um, and I learned that it was really healing to remind people that this pregnancy, even though it was miscarried or it was aborted, that can still be a part of their familial story like they can still tell their kids about this pregnancy they can still like you know acknowledge this as a child that didn't come earth's side and that has been medicine that so many of my clients have really received well and I share that with humility because I not know that that's not everyone's reality but um it has been something that a lot of people have um really um, appreciated. Yeah, thank you for for sharing that piece. That feels really holding, um, in a way, intending of the spirit and of the whole person in ways that I don't tend to see in the narrative around abortion a lot, particularly not medicalized abortion. Although perhaps that's changing with with more and more folks choosing to support as an abortion doula and just how powerful it can be to have a guide or a friend or someone who can accompany them through this particular like threshold or transition or, or however folks are framing that for themselves and um, how much of a difference that can make as opposed to being alone or being eh, shrouded in shame or um, you know having a lot of options taken away from them for whatever reason. Um, it's so powerful that um, you offer that to folks. Um, and if someone is choosing to have an herbal abortion, like having the collaboration of the pregnancy too is really helpful. So that's also where like the spirit comes in too. And it's like, you know, everything you can be adding to the prayer of releasing the pregnancy um, makes it that much more potent and um, clear. And so I think like getting more collaborator collaborators on board, including the pregnancy can be really helpful. Um, I have more to say, but it's escaping me. So I'll come back with it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that leads me to want to ask of um, of the folks that you've seen that have chosen or below abortion, what's what's like a typical shape that can take for folks? Um, maybe there isn't a typical shape, but I know that there's a fair amount of misinformation out in the world. And um, I'm curious, like what you've seen folks move with, if you feel comfortable sharing that. Um, what I will share is that people come to the herbs for different reasons. Some people, you know, they come to it because they knew of someone who had an herbal abortion or someone else comes to it because they 
don't have access to any other option or they think they don't. <laughs> and usually when someone's coming at it with the like, I have no other options and this is the only thing I do, that's when it's like really awesome to connect them with resources because there are, you know, even if you are in a very anti-abortion state right now, there are still ways to access medication. Um, that being said, um, some things that um, I've seen is people really engaging in ancestral work. Like they have an opportunity, you know, something that brought in my eyes to herbal abortion is when I started learning about the history of abortion, the clinical abortion system is like so tiny on like the large timeline that abortion has existed. And we understand abortion as like, you know, we think about abortion, but likely the first thing that comes to our mind is like being in a clinic and like, you know, those sort of instruments. Maybe if you're more familiar with medications, maybe medication is the first thing that comes to your mind. Either way, it's like this, these things that have only existed for the last like hundred and like the medications have been around since like the eighties. <laughs> so, you know, there's been a long history of people using, working with herbs and their cycles and the moon and their blood to release pregnancies. And so something that I've seen in my clientele is that people have an opportunity to connect with their ancestors and ways in which their ancestors released pregnancies that have been really empowering. And um, I think one of the greatest things is people um, building their relationships with these plants. And then once they have that relationship, it's like, it's so precious because no one can take that knowledge and that experience away from them. Um, and it just is this rebuilding of trust of the plants, of their bodies, of their, you know, all these different pieces that as you're naming before, um, generally the system, but colonization has like fractured. Um, Generally, someone will be working with plants for two or so weeks. You know, some things that are important is that someone, you know, there are many different herbal traditions around the world. And so I'm like no authority, but what has been taught to me, what I've learned is that generally it's safest to um, start a protocol no later since some, since no later than six weeks LMP, six weeks since someone's last menstrual period. So that's only two weeks after a missed period generally. Um, so it's a, it's a shorter timeline. Um, the earlier someone can use plants, even before a missed period, the better, you know, if someone's tracking their cycle, they know that they had a sperm exposure when they're fertile. Um, you know, they know they can reach for plants right away. Um, and there are early signs of pregnancy that can come even before a missed period, like uh, a sore chest, sore breast, you know, so those are all signs um, that a pregnancy has implanted. Um, and I, I see that people are bleeding more frequently if, if they are starting with plants even um, before their missed period. And even the people who they take, they work with herbs and they don't bleed from the herbs, there still has been a really meaningful experience of the relationship building that um, I would argue is still a success. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing some of the shape of that. And um, yeah, that makes me feel really inspired to learn more about the plants in my lineages that are connected to that. And the big one that's coming up for me is mugwort and how grateful I am for this being and its connection to deities that are really important to me. And um, 
if, if, if it's okay with you, I'd love to share just um, the experience that I had with Mugwort um, when my partner and I were playing with it in a fun, sexy time way. And I think probably I must have maybe just ovulated or like, I don't know, maybe on like the downturn. I'm not sure. I wasn't tracking, so I don't know. <laughs> But um, like playing with that plant, even having the plant touching like topically my mucosa, like I bled that same day. And for me, that was like a really powerful um, relationship building experience with this plant that's in my lineage around like, wow, these are connected in a really powerful way that I would like to learn more about. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you that's for sweet. Cool. yeah thanks for sharing about how some of the ways that you've seen that take shape um I'm curious you know in your in your work and in your experience you know what what is something that you wish everyone knew about in these practices um you mentioned folks getting in touch with the plants of their lineages and and getting in touch with their own particular rhythms and cycles um as we are you know coming into more uncertainty on kind of a collective level or I don't know what's coming but just from where you sit um in your perspective uh what is something that you wish folks knew about or had access to um first thing that comes to mind is that the plants aren't supposed to hurt you um something that I see and here perpetuated in herb schools and even online is that like these plants are toxic be careful and yes if you're you know learning about certain plants you should have respect like with all plants you should have respect but the goal isn't to hurt the goal isn't to cause toxicity um the reality is that what i've seen in my practice and how i've seen this medicine take form is that you're working in collaboration with these plants you know you don't need to use every single plant you know that could cause an abortion. But in fact, working with three or four plants with intention is, you know, these plants have been working together for centuries. They know each other. They're like, you know, in their little, <laughs> their little pod, you know, knowing that when they are together, that this is the work they do together. So the plants are also coming in as spirits and beings um, that are meant to help and not hurt. You know, abortion is not a punishment herbal abortion is not a punishment and if something is hurting it's not supposed to um which you know and there's this distinction that i've heard more in the birth world around the difference between pain and suffering like you know in the past when i've released a pregnancy it wasn't painless <laughs> it was a lot to release and i had to um move through that experience but i didn't suffer through anything and i think that you know, finding that that line between pain and suffering is important. Um, something else that I would love for people to know is that um, there are still recipes and wisdom that live within your lineages. And if it's a safe thing for people to do, I always want to encourage people to talk to their elders. What abortion stories still live within your families? Um, and your family might not use the word abortion. Your family just say, might think like, oh, this is the tea I drink when I want to bring on my period, you know? And then it actually, you know, what is an abortion? <laughs> it's been politicized so much to, for us to think that abortion starts like right when the egg is fertilized. But in fact, it's been a much 
larger. It's been so it was so much more spacious 150 years ago. We have we are in very different times now. We're not returning to a time before Roe v. Wade, where where this time that we exist in right now is differently restrictive and we have access to medications. And I think that herbal abortions can be practiced more safely um, in a world that decriminalizes abortion. We need to not only keep it legal, but we need to decriminalize it. Um, through the Over the last 150 so years, it's become so that you know, medicine that was in the hands of herbalists, midwives, community members, family members is now only in the hands of doctors and in some states, nurse practitioners. And that's just not how medicine actually reaches the people. It's not, you know, we need to reimagine what abortion is going to be by imagining what it's been in the past and what it's continued to be even through years of restriction and, um, yeah, restriction from the medical industrial complex that isn't giving us what we need when we really have to look at ourselves and in our own communities to take care of ourselves because um, I appreciate everyone who's doing work to continue to like work on like legislation and you know work on that level and like in the meantime we have to continue to take care of ourselves um, and we know what's best for ourselves. I love that all the sparkles on that everything you just said. <laughs> and I love how you're talking about like reframing what abortion is or like working with our fertility and how that has changed every time. Um, and I remember when we talked before, you know, framing it even as, especially since like, you know, for example, with herbal abortions that that window comes so soon after um, one ovulates that that's kind of more in the realm of contraception than abortion per se although I'm sure that changes from person to person and situation to situation but I love how you're talking about you know what are these stories like in our families and our and our lineages and how did people talk about them like this is the tea that we drink when we want to um you know bring the blood on and um support that regularity um and then how can we look for that or listen for that over over time and, and when we're doing research, when we're doing that deep listening um, can be a really interesting like thread to follow, especially like with the plants themselves. And the other piece to look for is where, did, where does it say don't use when pregnant? Because that's how misoprostol was like found to be um, a medication that could effectively and safely release pregnancies. People in Brazil were looking at medications that said like, don't use while pregnant. And that's, it's an ulcer medication. <laughs> turned into a, an abortion pill um through that and there's so many other other ways even in herbal books you know different massage practices you know there's different ways that like will be told don't use while you're pregnant or don't do while you're pregnant is can be directly translated <laughs> into these things help pregnancies release totally and yeah definitely want to shout out working with knowledgeable folks in our communities and um that calls to us in our lineages to get some guidance on that it's just because so, I'm like imagining there could be lots of different reasons why don't use while pregnant could come up <laughs> and getting some guidance around like which don't use while pregnant might be helpful in a particular situation and and yeah sometimes depending on where folks are at in their cycle it could be as gentle as like using parsley or like 
working with mugwort or investigating what it might be like to like work with penny royal or these other plants that um have big like at least penny royal i find that that's a plant that has kind of like a big taboo around it at least the the, the corners of the world that i inhabit and um what is that plant actually it's um it's in the mint family like what what are the qualities of these plants and, and how can we um build this relationship and familiarity with them in a way that acknowledges these histories of stigma and stereotype and also looks for the ways that they can be grounded in um lineages and stories over time so yeah that's really great advice to look for that yeah, well I think that Oh, go ahead. I was just going to share that I think that a good place to start or continue is to um, get access to Natural Liberty, which is a book that um, talks all about uh, what it calls self-induced abortion practices. It's by the Sage Femme Collective. Um, there's a PDF of it online, but um, it is such a good resource book. I would suggest getting a printed copy because it's amazing. It's like amazing and what I really love about it is that it has like several different plant profiles a lot of what's published is tends to be like a smaller amount um, and so you're able to look at the plants and see like oh I know my like you know my caregiver took used this plant for something else I wonder if my ancestors worked with it in this way too and the thing about that book too is it also it has the storytelling it has like you know, folklore about the plant. It also has some cautions of like, what does toxicity feel like? You know, who might not be a right match for this plant? And um, as a clinical herbalist, I also think of myself as a matchmaker with plants and people. And sometimes like, you know, Penny Royal, for example, is a delicious cup of mint tea <laughs> um, that some different cultures use to break fevers. Um, the name of it in Spanish is Paleo. Um, you can, it's, happens to be at a lot of Mexican tiendas at like Mexican corner stores just as like a normal tea but then it second it's called penny royal it's like oh no it's going to cause liver failure because you know there were people who were like relearning this medicine and were it ingested the essential oil of penny royal and people did die and as an herbalist, I know not to ingest essential oils but that's not something that everyone knows and you know it's important that we're getting more of a whole story as to you know where this fear may have come from and so if someone does have a compromised liver then penny royal wouldn't be a good match for them but generally penny royal is in tea form um there's one in natural liberty there's um i i don't know exactly what the statistic is i wish i could if i knew off the top of my head i would say it but it's something like you have to drink like 30 gallons of the tea to like get to the lethal doses of penny royal which people aren't doing and it's it's hard because you know you can't I can't respond to every comment and on on TikTok or Instagram but it's important to consider like where this fear is coming from and is it coming from a place of wanting us to like take care of each other and it's like information that we need to you know, make sure that we're sharing with each other or is it coming from a place of continuing to stigmatize verbal abortion because it's not, because doctors don't understand it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, such good discernment there. Where is the fear coming from? And like, what's the history of that? And also just sound advice, just don't eat essential oils. Just, just typically just don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if there's any other resources around this learning that you'd like to shout out for folks that we can um, put links to in the show notes. 
Natural Liberty, my fave. I love it. Um, number two, Holistic Abortions. They are on Instagram. They have a store online. Um, they have an herbal abortion one-on-one class um, that is currently in their shop. Um, I would totally suggest checking that out. They also published a zine called Grow Your Abortion, which is all about like, how do you grow these plants? And then also has like more um, elaboration outside of that, like um, you know, different information about the plant. So they also have a zine in their library. Um, I also just want to plug in again, abortion um, showers who are on Instagram. They're currently fundraising. Um, they're doing really awesome work. Um, of bringing joy and breaking stigma around abortion that I just really want to elevate right now. Um, there are reclaiming, um, hmm, I don't know the name of that entirely, but there are, there are a lot of zines out there. And um, I would really suggest for people to find um, zine libraries where you can support the people who wrote, like financially support the people who wrote the, um, the zines. If you have the means, there are different ways to get those zines for free online. Um, but a lot of this work is unpaid or underpaid. And so I really just want to elevate, you know, giving a few bucks to the producers of those zines and those books so that um, they can be supported in their work. Totally. And speaking, supporting people in their work, where can folks find out more about your work? Yeah, um, I am currently doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one work. So if someone is um, seeking out abortion care, then they can find me through my website, which is my name, Um I also provide um, chart reviews. So if you are someone who's like on your beginning journey or intermediate journey of learning fertility awareness and you would like an extra set of eyes because for me and my journey like I was self-taught for a lot long time and finally when I got in a room with a teacher I was so happy to like have someone else be like you're doing it right <laughs> you know totally. so <laughs> happy to you know help with that um support and so I also provide like one-on-one -on -one, um counseling around fertility awareness um and I also provide um, formulation for people who um, would like some herbal support outside of, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about, but formulation around um, any health concerns you might have. Um, and so I am also providing that service early 2023. I'm going to teach my next group class around fertility awareness. Um, and another group class, I also teach about herbalism, but for the rest of the year, it'll just be one on one work. So I'll be here. Cool. Can't wait to see more about that class. That sounds really exciting. And um, yeah, I'm so people, grateful. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. People can also find me on Instagram, which is my name at Sarah Merrick. Yes. C-E-R-R-I-C-K. -E <laughs> awesome. We will have that for sure in the show notes. Yeah. OIG. <laughs> so useful. And so, so Instagram. But yes, I'm so glad it's it's there. That's, that's an easy <laughs> yeah. way for people to I'm, connect yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm there for now. I've also created Patreon, which is in my 2023 plans. But I'm I'm Patreon slash Sarah Cycles too, um, because I've already seen abortion content being taken off of Instagram, and I don't trust Instagram will be a resource for 
abortion supporters in the year or years to come. Yeah, I second that. Definitely sign up for Sarah's Patreon. If you got a newsletter, sign up for their newsletter. Yeah, let's build those social networks that we want in our lives and not rely on some giant media conglomerate situation to do that for us. <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing a bit about your practice and some of your learnings and experience. And I'm curious if there's anything else that wants to come through at this time. Um, you spoke really beautifully about ways to reduce suffering and I really resonate with that a lot. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you, yeah, have anything else to share with us around how to reduce suffering in this time collectively or how to reduce suffering for people in our lives who might be working with some of these energies or for ourselves and just kind of navigating some of these journeys um, in this time. Mm -hmm. As an herbalist, I'd say, make sure you're taking your adaptogens and nervines. Um, naps have been life-saving for me this year. Like I really wanna encourage folks if you can take a nap even closing your eyes for 10, 15 minutes, it like is so good, so good. <laughs> um, something that I'm thankful that someone told me early on in my herbal abortion work was that um, I can't be a martyr. And so that's just something I wanna share with people, you know, whatever they're navigating is that I choose not to be a martyr. There's so much work to be done and we have to prioritize ourselves and um, shift um, this pattern of caregivers and healers from burning themselves out because um, that is just the pace that sometimes communities need their healer and caregiver to go but we have to really stop that patterning and um, slow down and you know, something that I also get from my cycle practice is, and I was thankful for understanding my rhythm is that, you know, capitalism makes me think that I'm always, I always should be productive every day, you know, in the same way. But in fact, like parts of my cycle, both of the earth cycle and also of my personal cycle are meant to rest, which we're leaning into right now in um, the Northern hemisphere, like, you know, fall, winter time, you know, it's a time to welcome in more rest with naps and chamomile tea and milky oats and um tending to ourselves especially as the world is going to continue to change um you know we're in a I would I feel like we're in an accelerated pace right now and to be able to have those practices in place before we need them even more is really important um so that's what I have to share about that Thank you. Yes, I absolutely second the naps. I love a good nap. Mm -hmm. Like two hours for me is like a good nap. <laughs> My 45 partner, minutes. 45 Perfect. minutes. That's a nice one too. Yeah, that's a that's a good recharge. My partner calls me a nap slut and I'm just like, that's that's me. Put it on a hat, put it on a shirt. I love it. <laughs> I was gonna say you make some nap nap slut merch. I'm gonna be buying it because that's yeah. what I really yes <laughs> so, yes the word yeah. yes there's 20... also you know 
I was gonna say I want to elevate the nap mystery, the nap ministry, which is online, which is all about elevating um rest for black folks that I yeah, they are an initiative that I really I learned I've learned a lot from. <laughs> um so I think that naps can also be restorative to the generations that have come before us and a way to take care of the generations that are to come. Um when yes. young people are seeing the people that are older than them taking care of themselves that's how they actually learn to take care of themselves right oh my gosh <laughs> yes absolutely may we continue doing that <laughs> totally well thank you so so much for coming on the podcast and and sharing about all the things and yeah blessing us with your with your wisdom and um yeah, your experience and all the education and all the self-learning that you've done to, to get to this point. And I feel excited about what is blooming and blossoming in the future for you. And, um, I, yeah, I feel excited to connect more people with the amazing work that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, um, am really thankful for this opportunity and I just want to remind everyone to stay safe, you know, whatever safe means for you as you move through this information. Um, the Digital Defense Fund is a really awesome resource around how to navigate online and um, internet platforms um, more safely and with more security. And, you know, as you have these conversations within your community, I want to encourage people to be brave and, you know, talk about abortion and also prioritize what's going to keep you safe. Yeah, thanks for that. Thank you. You've been listening to The Herb at the End of the World, a podcast created by me, Samwise Raridan, community herbalist, teacher, and organizer of the Self Heal Herbs Mobile Free Clinic. All my offerings are freely offered and community supported. It's important to me that all my work in the free clinic and all the content I create through the podcast will always be offered without a cost barrier. If you feel nourished and inspired by these projects and want to support more people getting connected to healing and learning, please consider being a supporter on Patreon by searching for Samwise Raritan Community Herbalist. Any level you can give at is immensely appreciated as it supports me in being able to live my most joyous and authentic gift to this world. I am so grateful and so in awe of the patrons who are prioritizing imagining a new and vibrant way to care for each other in this life. If you can't give money energy in this wild time, totally understand. (laughs) And another big way you can help out the podcast is to give us a five-star rating review uh, on Apple Podcasts or other places you download your audio. That makes a really big difference in letting more people know about these projects. Thanks for listening and being a part of creating revolutionary dialogue in your own circles. I wish you joy and healing in your journeys and until next time.